Welcome to Behind the Schemes, a discussion of how commerce, corruption, and counterfeit cures are destroying our planet's precious wildlife. This is Risha Kota Larsen with Behind the Schemes, and in this episode, we're talking about blogging for endangered species. Environmental blogs play a unique role in the battle to save endangered species. These specialized blogs have become a vital source of information for both the public and the media. John Platt, creator of the Scientific American blog called Extinction Countdown, recently shared his thoughts on what it's like to cover a topic that is frequently unpleasant. When did you begin writing Extinction Countdown, and what inspired you to start? Well, I've been doing it for about eight or nine years now. Um, I just started my fourth year at Scientific American. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before that, I was with another magazine called Plenty for about two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went out of business, and luckily, pretty much the same day they shut down, Cyan called me up and said, hey, you have any interest in moving over to us? And I said, yeah. Fabulous. Um, and I did it a few <laughs> years before. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty lucky. <laughs> yeah. And I did it a few years before that on my own. It was just something I had started out. Mm-hmm. I, I'd always been passionate about endangered species, about mm-hmm. the environment. And I was working for this uh, technology publishing company, editing all these email newsletters about computing science and semiconductors and and things like that. And for some reason, I kept seeing news stories, scientific stories about endangered species mm-hmm. while researching these other things. Oh, how interesting. And these... Yeah, and these typically were stories that were not getting covered very broadly. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, because I was looking for stuff from all over the world, I'd see news from Japan or India or Iran or whatever else that wasn't getting covered in the U.S. So I just started a little simple blog, and most of these things at the beginning were just a couple of lines and, mm-hmm. and a link. But it just evolved to the point where I was writing more and more about each thing. And my background is journalism, so eventually it just became a real journalistic outlet. Perfect. And um, yeah, so I've been doing it ever since. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. How when you're looking for something else and you and you start seeing these other stories and you're kind of thinking, why isn't this on the front page? And then when no one else is doing it, you're kind of like, I'm just going to do it myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, at it. the time there were either no or very few mm-hmm. online news venues just mm-hmm. about wildlife. And, yeah. and 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 individual endangered species, um, and now you've got a number of other things. Mm-hmm. You've got wildlife extra. You've got Manga Bay. You've mm-hmm. got a lot of websites that are devoted to environmental issues. Grist mm-hmm. was didn't exist back then, but you know what I like now is I'm part of a a broader general interest publication, uh, so I can reach a broad general audience with this material instead of just talking to the pre-sold environmental crowd. Yeah, absolutely. You can reach more of a, a, a mainstream audience. I think that's really important. It is. It always is. Yeah, and you were right at the forefront of it, too. I like that. Yeah, what can I say? I'm always <laughs> ahead of my time. <laughs> what have you found, as, as far as all the research that you've been doing for your articles, what have you found to be the most alarming trends that are affecting endangered species? Well, there's a lot. <laughs> um, and, and there's a lot that's alarming. Um, 
I think that there's an us versus them attitude in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and that necessarily is not people versus animals, although mm-hmm. that definitely exists, but it's right. people versus people, the, the um, conservationists versus the maybe the conservative side of the movement of, of, the, of the political side, but people who are, you know, this, don't tell me, you can't tell me what to do. This is my land. I want to be able to do what I want. Yeah. Um, you've got an awful lot of people, their policy perfectly stated mm-hmm. about endangered species is if it shows up on my property, shoot, shovel, and shut up. Oh. And, you know, they, 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 because, hey, it's their land and they yeah. don't want, if, if something's there, they don't, they don't want to be, have anyone tell them what to do. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's troubling. I think yes. that there are ways we can get around it. You see a lot of people in Texas trying to work with landowners. Texas is 99% privately owned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for example, you've got the Houston toad out there, which can only exist in the wild if people are willing to give it room mm-hmm. on their own land. And so you have to be able to work with people. And I think they, they are doing a great job going out to people and saying, you know, we're not going to be in your business, but here's what you can do to make your habitat a little bit more suitable. And it's better for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other things that I mean, you see so much desire, and of course, you, you get this with the rhinos and the, and the elephants, and the mm-hmm. money over all else, oh, short-term yeah. <laughs> money over anything else. I, I'm going to make a short-term profit, whether it's on a rhino horn or uh, a, a bluefin tuna, yeah. and I don't care about the long-term health of the species. I don't care about the long-term health of my business. Give me some money right now, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, um, and that's always very, very sad. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I I agree. The the whole idea of uh commercializing conservation, I I agree with you. It it is definitely a huge problem. And then going back to about uh you starting Extinction Countdown and what what role do you see writers and bloggers playing in this in this battle to save endangered species? Well, there are a couple of roles. I consider my job to be to get information out there, mm-hmm. to tell stories that I'm passionate about and convey that passion and interest to other people and hopefully in the process give them, A, the information they need to understand the issue mm-hmm. and B, maybe a way that they can take action if they are also passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, to give them the opportunity to say, okay, I can go to this uh, nonprofits website and find out more or donate money or I can take an individual action on my own or even if it's just tweeting it and sharing it on yeah. Facebook making things easy to get the information out there um, I think it's very important for people who are telling stories about all environmental subjects mm-hmm. to get beyond the the big fear there's so many bad stories out there and they have to be told yes but they're so success stories. Oh yeah. And it's important to balance that stuff out because people, I see it in the environmental movement. I see it. We saw it. Over, you know, people who were in the um, the Occupy movement, they got so passionate about it and they burned out so quickly. Yeah. Uh, and there, you see this a lot in the environmental movement. People want change and they want change and it doesn't happen and they get discouraged. It's incremental sometimes and it's bit by bit, um, but. You know, so in terms of my writing, I get to do two stories a week on this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's it, and I have to balance it out. 
what stories do I tell, which ones are important, which ones are the most important, which ones are the most representative of a broader issue. Can I balance out um, the good stories versus the bad stories, the extinctions versus the resurrections, the, the, the creatures that have been found, the new discoveries? Can I talk about... Um, I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I can't write about orangutans often enough, but I can't. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I I can only really cover what's going on with orangutans a couple of times a year because there's so many other species out there to be covered. So I do my best. I try to balance it out. And, you know, it's the role. There, there, there are so many stories to be told. Yeah. And there, every person who is involved with conservation in one way or another has an individual slice of that story. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for all of us to get out there and tell those stories. Newspapers, magazines, they're dying. It's a dying industry. Newsrooms have been slashed. Um, television journalism is weaker and weaker all the time. Uh, <laughs> but internet journalism, online journalism is in a way just developing and coming into its own the Huffington Post just won a Pulitzer. Um, so it's our responsibility now to tell the stories that the old media is not telling. Yeah, to serve as a foundation for what's going to hit mainstream media next. Yeah, mm-hmm. or to become the next mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely to fill in the holes that mainstream media cannot uh, and is unable to continue to cover. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. Do you know off the top of your head how many articles you've written, by the way? Well, uh, I've written close to a thousand articles about endangered species. That is amazing. Out of all those articles, are there two or three that maybe stand out in your memory and and why? Mm -hmm. Tell us about those. There's there's quite a few. now, knowing how behind the schemes is tied to, to your organization, of mm-hmm. course, one of the things that really, it, it, it's a story that meant a lot to me and, and really was incredibly powerful for me to, to tell. October 2011, the Javan rhino in Vietnam was declared extinct. Oh, yep. And not only had I, this was, they kind of knew this was happening. Yeah. The, the. Rhino, the last rhino, it turns out, was poached in May 2010. I covered that story. At the time, it wasn't known for sure that that was the last rhino of his subspecies. Um, But they had been collecting dung samples and things like that. Um, And it took them almost a year and a half to get the testing done. And, and, And basically, the tests showed that all the samples they collected were all from the same animal. And that animal was now dead, killed by a poacher for its horn. Ugh, yeah. So that not only was it so important for me to tell that story, mm-hmm. I was very lucky because uh, WWF, the World Wildlife Fund, actually, I think they, I gave them some very, very good questions mm-hmm. that, they, they, that were not covered in their original press release that other media did not ask, and I think it really became the definitive article about this species extinction. And it means a lot to me. It sticks, it sticks out so strongly in my mind because in this time I've been writing about endangered species, this was the second rhino extinction that I covered. Yep. 
the yep. first time was um, back in July 2006 when the Western black rhino was declared extinct. Right. And the IUCN kind of, um, they followed up and after the Javan rhino was coming back, was Consider extinct. That's when the IUCN finally said, "Yeah, we've been thinking, we've been looking for it, we've been talking about it. The western black rhino is definitely extinct." But the uh, the World Conservation Union, Union, which actually I think was the previous name of the IUCN, um, they um, they declared first declared it most likely extinct in uh, July 2006. Right. And so it's I know tragically that this is not last rhino extinction I will write about. I, I've been following the northern white rhino as its population declines one by one as they die off by old age. This species is never going to survive. Um, and there are others. And, and it's, it's heartbreaking, but it's incredibly important to keep telling that story. So that's one. Yay, that was a real positive one um but it, it's yeah that was mind. a real that, those were both really uh really sad stories and uh yeah. that's for sure and obviously you know i recall those as well and uh you know as far as the northern whites go um we can hope that some of the genetic material is going to be preserved with uh, some of the the hybrids um and there were some there was a mating last year but no word on whether it resulted in a pregnancy or not and this would have been between two northern whites a shred of hope yeah, <laughs> so, yeah we can remain hopeful but i think it's important to show these to tell the stories of these extinctions yeah. because it's just how bad the situation is. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's you know, people think in their minds when they think extinct, they think, uh, they picture dinosaurs, they picture things that you never see anymore. But the reality is, is that there's uh, animals walking around on this planet, living their lives as they've done for millions of years. And, you know, they face a real danger of being extinction and it just doesn't seem to matter to enough people. Um, you know, the, the job and rhino extinction, I, I have to say, I, I thought that would be more of a, of a wake up call to the rest of the world. Let's say the the mainstream world than, than it was. It, it really, you know, when you look at, uh, the other nonsense that seems to make, uh, you know, mainstream or entertainment news, this extremely important uh, environmental uh, event, this this horrible crime, it was just a blip on the radar. It was really uh, heartbreaking. I mean, it was huge, you know, in our world and your world, but in, in the scheme yeah. of things, it was really disappointing to see how little attention uh, was, was paid to that. Well... And I think that there are a few reasons that I saw it get covered a lot. I know that my story got read a lot. Yeah, but, yeah. But, you know, I, people yeah. say, but I was just at the zoo. I saw a rhino right there. They're fine. Well, people don't right. realize that there's multiple species and multiple subspecies. Right. And right. you get this with, I, with tigers all the time. Whenever I write about tigers, people say, well, there's 3,200 left in the wild. Well, you have to break that down into multiple subspecies, and there might be 200 of this subspecies mm -hmm. or 50 of this one. They're really close to being lost. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a little harder for people to understand. Um, and then again, with the, with the job of the rhino in Vietnam, almost no photographic evidence of this species ever existing, mm -mm. Mm -mm. none in zoos, really 
and it's it's much more surreal. It's harder for them to understand. But that's why we just keep getting out there and keep making keep making the point and keep referring back. To, I mean, I've got eight years worth of previous stories that I can refer back to. Excellent. That yeah, that people that can, each one of those is a constant learning experience and. And it's amazing. I, I'll look at the, the statistics uh, that Scientific American provides to me, mm-hmm. and um, I'll see articles that are three or four years old that are getting hundreds of hits a month. Right. I so, see that, too, on, on, on my blog as well. Interesting, yeah. yes. So the information's still out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, on a slightly more positive note, <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to, you know, more uh, – couple of stories that might have really stuck in my mind. Um, <laughs> now, this is an equally critically endangered species, but November 2011, um, the Dos Equis beer companies that came to me and said, hey, our <laughs> spokesperson, the most interesting man in the world, is going to have an auction for this jam he created, the most interesting jam in the world, <laughs> and all proceeds will go towards the conservation of the northern hairy-nosed wombat oh, in Australia. Yeah. So, hey, fantastic. Um, It was a company doing something meaningful, Mm -hmm. but in a humorous way that really got people's attention. So that was a a company doing something meaningful in a way that got people's attention. It was slightly humorous. It was Mm -hmm. offbeat. It was interesting. It used their brand power to say something interesting and powerful. And this is one of the most popular articles I ever wrote. It continues to get hundreds of readers a month. Um, It did some good for this species, of which there, at the time I wrote it, there were only, I think, 138 of them left. Oh, my God. And this tiny jar of jam that that they made, um, sold for over $1,000. Wow. That went directly toward conservation efforts for the northern hairy-nosed wombat. Um, and I think that that's fantastic. It draws attention to a species in need. It draws attention to a species that most people don't even know exists. Right. They probably don't. Uh, uh, and it was fun. And it's, it, it, it reminds me, back when I started Extinction Countdown, I used to use a lot more humor. Mm-hmm. Um, because I believed then, and I believe now, that humor is a great way to teach and to convey information. Mm-hmm. After writing about endangered species for all this time, I tend to find less funny about it. Yeah. Um, if I, but uh, And there's never anything that's really been funny about endangered species, mm-hmm. but there, there are ways you can find humor in any situation. Mm-hmm. This was a nice story that reminded me that you could have a couple of laughs while doing something very serious. Yes. And the story did some good. And the, the Dos Equis Beer Company did some good. And it was, hey, I enjoyed interviewing the most interesting man in the world, or more specifically, his copywriters. <laughs> um, so uh, it, was, it really stands out. And I think that story did and will continue to do some good in the world. Oh, I love it. And the and the most interesting man in the world on his most recent commercial, he's painting a rhino. That's true. <laughs> we posted it in uh, posted it in our blog. <laughs> and and uh, you know, you you do see 
a couple of little wildlife related things in the, in a in a couple of those commercials. So it's fun. I mean, they 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 obviously have a little bit of heart um, mixed thing with their marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's a good thing. One thing I noticed though that I that I don't like I I like. Um, what you say about putting putting some humor in it, and, and I agree with that. I mean, when we can find humor, uh, use it for sure. But I'd have to say one of the things that I still think is kind of a shame is when uh, the media reports on, say, somebody smuggling tiger cubs in a suitcase or something really horrible like that, and it's popped in with the oddball news or the oddities and kind of a joke is made out of it. And Man, that really bums me out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can understand that. You know that. what I mean? Have you seen those? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, and but it, it's the whole thing with the mainstream media. They yeah. they'll cover, you know, the cute stuff, the the iconic creatures, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, look at this cute tiger cub that someone had in their luggage. Oh, he's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so cute. The poor little tiger cub. Yeah. Um, but. There is a very serious oh, issue. Oh, yeah. I mean, those those animals were, and, and, were drugged. It was horrifying. Yeah. yeah, but that's TV news for you. TV yeah. news has become a very odd beast. And, yeah. You know, yeah. So I think TV news is itself an endangered species. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you did say two or three stories. A third one that... that Really, I think is something I've always wanted to do again. Mm-hmm. Um, back in July 2010, I did a story called "Unfair Trade: A Week in the World of Illegal Wildlife Trafficking." Oh wow! And yeah. basically, I just every story I could find about smuggling, mm-hmm. poaching, um, it sale of illegal wildlife products. Every mm-hmm. story I could find over the period of one week, I, I wrote it all up. One long story linking all, you know, linked to all the original news oh, yeah. stories. And it was fantastic. It was rhinos. It was pangolins. It was various uh, plants. It was tiger carcasses. It was a tiger. There were birds being uh, smuggled out of Mexico. There were Indian snakes. It was everything I could possibly find. And I know that that was maybe 1% of the stories that were reported around the world and mm-hmm. even 1% of that would have been 1% of the total wildlife smuggling problem for that week. Oh yeah. I think very eye-opening story and it really showed the sheer scope of the the crime uh being committed in the name of money and mm-hmm. bushmeat trade and, yeah. and, and and how little some of these people are being punished and prosecuted for their crimes if they are being caught and punished at all. So I think that was a very powerful story. It has always stuck in my mind, and someday I'll be doing another one like that. Yeah, those are really good. That would be uh, that would be a really good story. And and going back to what you were saying about it just being a small percent of what's going on. Um, yeah, it is just a tiny percent of the actual trafficking that's going on. And that is just such, that's just such a shame. And there just, there's very little punishment. Um, just it, mostly it's fines, people getting out on bail. And these fines are just like a little business license. I mean, they're hardly a deterrent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. What um, 
does give you hope, though, when it comes to endangered species. Well, sometimes I feel like it's an endless battle, like it's this tidal wave of bad news coming over me whenever I look at endangered species. But yeah, <laughs> you know, at the same time that there are so many people out there doing good work, really good work, um, whether they're in the field working on conservation issues, mm-hmm. whether they're the volunteer soldiers trying to protect uh, rhinos, whether they're the scientists mm-hmm. in the lab working on breeding techniques, such good work being done. And it's such a pleasure to be able to talk to and interview so many, so many of these people mm-hmm. and to report on the good work that they're doing and hold them up as examples of what can be done and what is being done every day. Yes, absolutely. There is good happening every day. It's uh, hard to believe it sometimes when, as, as you said, this tidal wave of terrible news about endangered species. But yes, there are people doing good every day. I agree. Well, thanks so much, John, for taking time and being with us today. It was really fantastic to speak with you and finally meet you after all this time. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to talk with you and and to meet you online and uh, to to talk about this because it's important stuff and uh, I think we're doing some good in the world to make, uh, make a difference. I do too. You've been listening to Blogging for Endangered Species with John Platt, creator and author of Extinction Countdown. This is Risha Kota-Larsen with Behind the Schemes.